Hello there, this is Bruce McLenn, reading from Volume 2 of my hunting journal. The Hunt for Energy, November 18th to 21st, 2007. With a few final steps, I pushed my way through the crystalline snow to the top of the ridge, carrying a pack frame full of meat and pulling two elk quarters in the sled. Dad followed me in the moonlight. I could hear him breathing in and exhaling the negative 10-degree air when I stopped to catch my breath, and occasionally looked back to see a little point of light on his brow. I peered through the night sky with my headlamp across the snowy bowl, hoping to catch a glimpse of the truck about a quarter mile away, but the darkness and the cold ate up my faint beam of light before it had a chance to reach the reflectors on the rig. Navigating the sagebrushed side slope across the bowl should have been foreboding, especially considering what had transpired to get to this point. But I stepped off the edge of the ridge with an unusual lightness, my heart thumping, my legs pumping, and kept going, wondering when my granola from ten hours earlier was going to wear off. After eavesdropping on a herd of elk earlier in the morning, by staying hidden in the timber and glassing them through the snow-covered fir boughs, taking caution not to dislodge the snow above our heads, sending it down our backs of our necks. Andrew and I set out to attempt a flank maneuver. The elk had headed up onto a timbered ridge and bedded down, and we were going to see about stopping in for a visit. However, getting close proved challenging. I crept along a fence line towards a vigilant bunch, taking a slow step and then waiting and watching for a sign of orange or brown hair. By covering the ground painfully slowly, and I was, it was painful as my toes were getting numb, I hoped to sneak across the opening without causing a stir. But when I was able to see elk through my binoculars, I knew it was only a matter of time before they saw me. So I backed up in my steps, shuffling my feet backwards around the sagebrush, following the path I had taken, slowly and with my binoculars at my eyes, for fear that raising and lowering them would attract too much attention. A much longer approach was necessary, but allowed, allowed me to get to the base of the ridge and the edge of the timber. Luckily, the wind and the sun were in my favor. As I approached within a hundred yards, I did everything I could to creep silently and motionlessly. I spent several hours approaching within fifty yards, of them several times and had to back away because there was no clear shot through the trunks and branches. At times I would get close and then just sit and watch them, knowing there were, knowing we were sharing the same patch of mountain and that they probably knew I was there. After the fifth or sixth attempt I found a path right along the rocky ridge top that appeared it might allow me to get to a place from which to shoot. As I snaked my way through the snow and rocks and around and under trees, I dropped my pack and then my binoculars in an attempt to be as small and quiet as possible. I finally got as close as I thought I could, and while a few started to stir and stand up, I fired a shot through what appeared to be a clear corridor at a cow. My two seventy sounded like a cap gun going off, and the elk thundered off the ridge and were gone. I expected to walk up and find an elk piled up, instead found only a broken limb about the size of my index finger in the fresh snow about 15 yards from where the elk stood. I gathered my stuff and was about to accept defeat, but decided to follow the tracks to make sure I found no blood. After about a 100 yards, I noticed a cow sitting in a clearing where the rest had 
of the herd had run through. It looked as though she was injured, so I finished it with a swift shot to the neck. Apparently, my earlier bullet deflected off the branch and hit her just behind the diaphragm. Not the cleanest of kills, but it was meat. I figured the other two would have heard my shots, and so I went to work. I gutted her to allow the meat to cool, but still no sign of my partners. So I hiked the better part of a mile back to the truck, left a note, and moved it a little closer before heading back to the elk with the sled and my pack frame. Even though it was below freezing, the clear skies allowed the sun to help warm anything that was standing in it. However, it wasn't long until the fiery ball dropped below, below the horizon and the chill really started to settle in. I worked as fast as I could, removing the four quarters with the hide on and boning out the carcass, and it wasn't until well after dark that I looked up and spotted the welcome sight of one of my hunting partners coming to help. I knew it was only a matter of time. To my surprise, as I had heard no other shots, Andrew had shot a white-tailed buck earlier, and they had just finished dragging it back to the spot where the truck used to be. Dad and I got the rest of the meat off the bones and loaded the pack and the sleds. By this time, it was getting cold. Cold enough that when I set my knife down for a minute, it would freeze to my glove when I picked it up again. What little energy there was in the air was rapidly slipping away, and as we started up the hill with our 200-plus pounds of cargo, I turned back to look at the area where this life-and-death drama had just taken place. I caught the moonlight glistening off the frozen sagebrush and grass and the snow itself, and at a point where I should have been dead tired, something strange happened. Suddenly I felt a rush of energy sweep into me as I noticed the beauty of the moonlit landscape and the nature of what had just transpired on it. Dimly lit trees and other features stood out clearly. I felt the accomplishment of connecting with and partaking in, in the ecosystem and realized I was completely at ease, as if this was what I was meant to do with my opposable thumbs and knowledge and use of tools. I felt myself getting lighter on my feet as I turned and climbed up the hill. I was drawing on some greater source of energy and could feel it flood into my body and down my legs. I stopped again to let the feeling sink in, not ever wanting to forget it. What if I could tap into this energy at other times by simply remembering this moment? It was not a completely foreign feeling as I had witnessed it before to lesser extents, but always in the similar situations and areas of nature that had not been disturbed in some time, as though the energy of the area had been accumulating over time, hundreds of years perhaps, and it had, had not been stripped from the landscape in a feeble attempt to turn that energy into a commodity of some sort that was quickly used up and gone. Whatever it was, it was out there, and it made me aware of a source of energy that we had forgotten about, a source of energy that could potentially fill the greatest voids, even eliminate the need to strip it from our environment and the people around us. If energy is the fundamental building block of our universe, it makes sense that the more we are connected to nature, the earth in its most raw and undisturbed form, the more freely it will flow in our direction. After all, we are a part of the natural world and merely recent participants in a long and drawn-out drama. Might it be easier than we think to find our place and fit in?